Welcome to the Frontline Conversations podcast, a platform that discusses issues around public policy and current affairs. We can't wait to share insights that matter to you. Are you ready to have the conversation? This is Frontline Conversations. Welcome to another episode of Frontline Conversations. Today we have a special guest. We have Ms. Sharon Litlape, a member of the Central Command Team of the Economic Freedom Fighters. Sharon. Hi, Kevin. Welcome to Frontline Conversations. Thank you very much and greetings to the viewers. Thank you for honoring this, this invitation of ours. So we are going to have a conversation. So relax. So don't don't be tense. <laughs> it's just yeah. going to be a conversation about the economic freedom fighters going into the local government elections. Yeah. But to start things off, um, we are in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. Mm. And last year we saw everyone from civil society, opposition parties, supporting government in their efforts to respond to the coronavirus pandemic and ensure that it does not spread across South Africa. Mm. As time went, we saw especially the EFF sort of breaking away from supporting government's response to the pandemic. So what would you say has been the failure of government in responding to the coronavirus pandemic? Mm. I think first of all is the way the government wanted to respond to the pandemic it was in a very poorly manner mm. uh, and why i'm saying that is that i mean if you are faced or if you are confronted with a pandemic like coronavirus um your response should be a very quick one yes. and a very positive one towards citizens and towards the country um so i think in the process of the government trying to respond to the COVID 19 they did it in a very poorly manner um, because, I mean, the first month in March, mm. we went on a lockdown. Yes. Um, everyone was locked at home. Businesses were closed. Um, companies could no longer, you mm. know, function and all that. And in that same process, there was no plan on what happens while you're still at home. Mm. There's no food security. There's no, um, you know, there's no energy security there's nothing there's no plan to mm. say we're going on a lockdown and this is what's going to happen in this process you're going to be sitting at home for 21 days and then it extended it extended we are over a year whilst we're still, still on these regulations and these lockdowns and um there's no really solid plan to say what do you do what happens when you lose a job what happens while you're mm. still at home what happens to companies what happens to employees there's no solid plan from the government to say this is how we wish to recover from this pandemic and this is a solid plan that the that the government has put out for everyone from the, the unemployed to the employed to the companies to the businesses to government itself there was no solid plan and and i think that's why i say um the government's rec uh, recovery plan or plan towards the, the pandemic was very poor um it had no direction mm -hmm. it had no willingness to really see citizens of this country out of the pandemic and to also instill confidence that this is something that we're faced with and it will eventually um you know face out as a government we are here to instill confidence we are here to walk with you through this path and see that 
this pandemic does not leave any other, you know, worse conditions that it finds citizens or this country in. Yeah, for sure. Thanks. And let's say it was the EFF in that position. Mm -hmm. The EFF was the ruling party. What or the party in government, mm -hmm. what would you have done differently to ensure that we successfully na navigate this pandemic? I think the first thing you mm. need to do is to sit down and have a plan, mm. as a very strategic plan. Um, you don't wake up in the morning and be guided by what is happening around the world. You first have to sit down. How do mm. you secure food? How do you secure employment, especially in a country that we are in? South Africa is one of the countries that have the highest unemployment rate. Yeah. Um, so the EFF, I mean, it's something that it speaks about day in, day out. Unemployment, how do you address unemployment? How do you make sure and secure employment for young people? How do you develop skills for young people? And ultimately, how do you secure food? Hmm. How do you secure energy? We speak about farming, we speak about agriculture. How do you then as a government, faced with a pandemic like that to say, um, how do you use facilities, your agricultural facilities? How do you use farming? How do you find yourself or include people and citizens into the process of securing food for not just citizens, but for the country as well? And also realizing and appreciating the fact that you don't know how long this pandemic is going to be. Mm. So really, the EFF as a government, it would really put systems in place. and. Um, I think our commitments throughout the inception of the EFF has been solid. It's you need to secure food, you need to secure energy, you need to secure land, mm. because those are the things that in the midst of you being um, confronted with such things that are really beyond your control, you are able to go back to what you have secured in the long term to say this can secure you for such and such a long period of time. Okay, no, I hear you. And and let's talk about the, the vaccine rollout uh, mm -hmm. for a bit. Uh, we saw the EFF marching to the offices of SAPRA, Sapra. Mm -hmm. demanding vaccines. And now we have vaccines, but people are not taking up those vaccines. We now have only 20% of the adult population vaccinated. So what do you make of government's vaccine program or rollout thus far? I mean, if you can, if you can remember, Kevin, how this whole uh, vaccine rollout started, was very suspicious, very problematic mm. in the sense that the first phases, government could not procure vaccines, mm. and the second phase was there's no budget. After they get the budget, they're not sure which vaccine they should take. They bring vaccines without being tested into the country, and that also instills anxiety mm. to our people. There's no um, awareness on the vaccines. People don't know the, t the effects that the different vaccines have, um, whether when you, are, you have certain types of illnesses, what happens, what are the side effects of the various vaccines that you have. But also with that as well, there are other vaccines that the government really tried to isolate mm. or to turn a blind eye against, especially when you look at, you look at other countries, for instance, Russia. There's a vaccine in Russia, mm. and we have seen the effectiveness of this vaccine in Russia. But South African government does not want to procure that vaccine. And we speak about knowledgeable and informative uh, citizens. Uh, black people, in as much as the government does not take them into confidence, but they are very informative people. And they follow up on 
um, the different vaccines, the different countries, what is happening in mm. other countries in terms of this pandemic. And we realize that the vaccines that are actually brought to this country are some sort of a business uh, deal type of thing. Um, they, they didn't bring vaccines based on the effectiveness, based on the studies, based on the tests that mm. were conducted in the country. They, they brought vaccines based on who has relationship or business relationships with who and who is in good terms, business terms with who and all those things. So I think, and I mean, it's very alarming that the other group of people um, really don't want to vaccinate. And you ask yourself, why? Mm. Why would you have a certain type of group that does not want to vaccinate, but you find a government forcing, we're at a level where the government is now forcing people to vaccinate. Um, they're in, they are introducing uh, incentives for people who vaccinate, mm. even at work, in workspaces now, there's people who are not able to go to work because they are not vaccinated. And vaccinating, it's supposed to be a person's right. Um, but the government is also not expanding on that, that you can only um, be or the, the, the vaccine can be democratic to a certain point. And then after this point, then it means the government really needs to, you know, intensify its rollout, its rollout plan, its ensuring that people vaccinate in the country. And that is not happening. Um, so the but, vaccinating yeah. rollout mm. has dismally failed from the onset. Okay. And that is why people don't feel confident in vaccinating as we see so many people dying even after vaccinating. Mm. And the government is not saying anything about it. There's no study that tells us why people are still giving in onto this pandemic, onto this virus, even after vaccinating. And this is because people are not educated um, enough to say, if you have certain illnesses, this is the effect that you would have onto the virus or onto the, the vaccine. The vaccine. Um, so people are really just going in with blind um, eyes. They don't know what is happening. They don't know what to expect. And the government is not putting them into confidence on anything. So what, what can be done then uh, to ensure that this hesitancy that we have from people to get vaccinated, uh -huh. that we get over it, that we vaccinate the majority of our population so that the economy can get back on track. Mm. Because right now you have there's this fear of a fourth wave that yeah. might come in December, which means that we might go into another lockdown, meaning that restaurants will be closed, people then will be staying at home, some people will lose their jobs. Mm -hmm. So then what do we do then? What's the solution then, if not vaccines? It's to work on an awareness program mm. um, to teach people about the virus, first of all, mm. but also to teach people what the vaccine um, effect would be, mm. the positive effect that it would be, and how the, the vaccine would save them from the virus. But even with that, it's very problematic because you tell a person in the deep rivers of the Eastern Cape to wash their hands every now and then, mm. and they don't have water. You go to the deep rurals of the Northern Cape, you tell people to wash hands, you tell people to be hygiene, and they are living in very critical and very bad um, states. Mm. So it's, it's, it's really, I don't think we'll get it right. I don't think the government will really get it right because it goes back to what they have failed to do even before this COVID-19 um, came, you know? So, um, but I think ultimately it's awareness. You, Government needs to teach people about the virus. Government needs to teach people about the vaccines. It needs to give them options that they want. Mm. And also, it needs to 
get as many vaccine options as possible and allow people to choose which vaccines they want to use. Um, and also maybe explain to people in the process of educating them, explaining to them how vaccinating as many people or as many people in the population would ultimately assist into opening up the economy. Because that's what people want. And that's why even during the lockdowns, you found people breaking the regulation rules, mm. going back to the streets, going back to sell, going back to do whatever they need to do because people are hungry. You can't tell hungry people to stay at home because yeah. of a virus that they can't see themselves. Mm. You know, so it's really education, education, education. Government needs to invest more into making people aware of what we are facing and also to instill confidence. But it doesn't really look like government is confident itself that they are going to surpass the face of COVID-19. Yeah. By the looks of things, they're also confused. They don't know whether they are going to survive it or not. And if a government is not confident as well, I mean, how do you then go to your citizens and instill or inspire confidence and say, we are here, we're going to go through this process with you and we're going to make sure that we overcome this pandemic together as a nation? No, I hear you. I hear you. Now, I, I briefly mentioned the, the issue of the economy, mm -hmm. that badly needs to get back on track. Mm. So we've seen government uh, try to come up with measures to ensure that the economy gets back on track. We have an economy that's shedding jobs. I think currently the unemployment figure is at 34%. Mm -hmm. The high, highest it has been in, in over a decade or so. So looking at the measures that government has introduced, even the plan, the economic recovery plan introduced by the president last year, what, what do you make of government's response mm -hmm. to ensuring that the economy gets back on track? I don't think there has been much, mm. um, really. Even that the ERRP, mm. um, the interventions have not really been implemented. And without implementation, you are not able to, you know, mm. you can have a policy, you can have a plan, but if there's no willingness yeah. to finally implement it, then it's problematic, then it becomes irrelevant. Mm. Um, one of the interventions is energy security, it's food security, it's mm. employment, um, it's also gender equality, it's, you know, inclusion of women and children into development in the economy. Uh, but there's none. Mm. And there's really none. I mean, after before even after COVID-19 even after the plan has been introduced we still have more young people who are losing jobs we still have young people who are not uh, employable um, we still have women and children who are still I mean you are locking perpetrators with victims in their own homes mm. and what is that I mean it can't be a plan of government to say we know that we we have a huge crisis of gender-based violence and in the process of trying to um you know cover up or trying to control the pandemic you close a perpetrator and a victim in a home and there's no other plan for it um so what i'm saying is that the interventions um that the plan had you know had to be put in place mm. are not put in place actually it's worse things are getting worse people are losing jobs um, people are running out of, farms are no longer operative because people don't have means to maintain their farms, to maintain their land, to maintain um, the small businesses, mm. entrepreneurs, businesses have closed. SMMEs have closed down because even the government itself is not able to assist anymore. It's not able to 
put in the little that they used to give. Even when we know that that process was done in a whole different manner, but it's not done anymore. So government is not able to give anymore. It's not able to give anyone. It's not able to invest into these other um, factors or sectors that need government to really invest in it, to make sure that we have an economy that is running and we recover from the crisis that we're in now. Is, is it not because when people get unemployed, when people lose their jobs, you lose taxpayers? Is it not because the government's coffers have shrunk, hence then government cannot give everyone money like they used to? You know, Kevin, it's mm. corruption, really. Yeah. Um, the government year in year out tells us that they collect trillions of mm. SARS um, from taxpayers. But also we know that um, working class, our working class, the, uh, the number of our working class people is very low. Mm. Um, I mean, you can find Sharon working, but how much is Sharon uh, earning? Mm. The wage gap between the different groups of people also counts. Um, so you can have as many people working, but if people are not earning what they what they need to earn. If you if you employ as many people as you want, but you're not able to give them a minimum living wage, then they're not able to live through with that salary. Mm. And also they're not able to invest or put back into the economy. Um, so I think really it's not, the, it's not a, a, an issue of employ, a, employment or mm. um, government, whether it's able to collect taxes and all that, but there, there is no employment. There's no employment. Young people are not being employed. Mm. Old people are not being employed. And there is there seems to be no plan of employment, of job creation in this country. There seems to be no plan of skills development, how to teach young people and old to create their own jobs, to you know make their own money. The plan is not there anymore because all the money that the government has goes to different people's pockets. It goes to ministers. It goes to municipality managers and all that. So it's really corruption. People would rather take money and put it in their personal pockets than put it out there and invest into the economy of this country. And that is what is collapsing the economy. There is money in South Africa, but how the money is used hmm. is a problem. Then, then what would your plan look like? So if, mm -hmm. again, the EFF... Yeah is in power, you are in charge of state coffers, how would you distribute that money? What would your plan look like to ensure that we successfully navigate ourselves out of this pandemic? As we are seeing in other countries, countries such as China, the US, they're starting to experience growth, pre-pandemic uh, growth, yeah. but we are still stuck. How then do the EFF ensure that we go back to the way we were before the pandemic? I think from a municipal um, level, mm -hmm. as we approach local government elections, uh, EFF has been very consistent into what a EFF municipality should look like. Mm -hmm. And that means building capacity um, within the municipality, building a fully functional and capable capacitated municipality. Mm -hmm. You know, we abolish tenders, we hire people, we abolish um, outsourcing, because those are some of the things that will then make you misuse funds without really noticing. Mm. Um, when you an EFF municipality will then mean that you have to have 
your own you have to have town planners you need to know from 5 10 30 years from now what mm. would happen to Gauteng what would happen to Joburg as a city uh, which sites would be residential which si- which sites would be uh, industrial sites and what are some of the things or some of the infrastructures that you would have to use so you have to have a long term plan and a 30 years plan is i don't think it's 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 a it's a it's it's good enough for a government to plan on 30 mm. years is nothing really because the first 10 years 15 years is administration mm. you have to sort out the administration and it's a mess mm. we're in a very rotten administrative government so it means the eff once the eff takes power it needs to first clear out its administration and it means a 30-year plan would then mean then you're only going to touch two faces of what an EFF plan or an EFF municipality should look like. But you are saying, hire people, hire permanent people, hire capable people, have Mm -hmm. auditors, use money where it's supposed to be used. And if there's anything left of, have something else on the side. You know, every municipality should have its own plan um, based on the dynamics of that municipality. You need to know your priority um, needs. You need to know what your people need mm. in that municipality and what are the priority things that you're going to invest in. And then other than that, really, it's plan, plan, plan. You need to have a plan, a solid plan that you're going to stick to as a government. And you are not going to allow corruption to infiltrate into a government. We know that, um, you know, access of money can corrupt a whole lot of people. Yeah. But it shouldn't be you if you find people who are money driven um then you have a problem because it means you find sharon in a municipality sharon has been hungry for 30 years and the minute she gets access to money she forgets that um there's thousands and thousands of people who are actually dependent on to what is happening in Mm. the administration of the municipality and that is why we say you need to have credible people who are going to run municipalities, people who are going to be held accountable, and not just by the EFF, but by the people who voted for them in power, mm. to say, you said in five years you would do one, two, three. This is the third year. What have you done? There has to be some form of people being held responsible and accountable for what they had planned and what they had promised to deliver in municipalities. And that is what a municipality of the EFF will look like an accountable one an accessible one but Mm. also a one that is capacitated with people who will really invest and would put into um developing that municipality you you spoke about plan and planning Mm -hmm. we know in south africa having plans and planning i don't think it's a problem that we have the biggest issue we have is implementation yes, of those plans. Definitely. And and you, you started talking about local government. So going into the local government elections, mm. the EFF has released its manifesto. You have made some commitments to say, once we t- get into power, this is what we're going to do. Mm. So those are plans, but then how will you ensure that you implement those plans once you get into power? Um, like I said, is to get credible people mm. who are going to run these municipalities. Um, you, we don't work on cater deployment. Mm. So if you have a financial, a finance department, it needs to be run by a financial um, expert, somebody who will be able to run the finances of mm. the municipality, and not because 
Kevin is a cadre and therefore Kevin must be deployed into finance because then he'll be able to run some deals that will benefit mm. one or two individuals within the municipality. So it's to have capacitated and credible people who are going to run the municipality and also its implementation mm. having time frames from now until when what must be done mm. when must it be done and by who must it be done so that there's also a sequence of accountability um so you have to have credible people you have to have accountability and you really have to have willingness political willingness as well um because if you don't have a government that is willing to implement its policies or mm. its plans then it's as good as nothing a municipality a lot of our municipalities are malfunctioning because there was no implementation plan and there was no um political willingness from the the government side to say we want to do this despite what we have personally and what we want to gain personally this is what we want to see um happening in our various municipalities you you mentioned cadre deployment yeah. um the the logic behind cadre deployment uh, is that you need people who share at least your ideology your same views mm. to be in government to to be able to implement the sort of ideology of the party mm. so you say you don't want cadre deployment how will you then ensure that the people that you hire in those uh, municipalities mm. share the EFF's view and are able to implement your plans or your ideologies but remember mm. ideology alone cannot run a municipality yeah um ideology is just the first phase mm. to give you a light of where you are and where you want to be as an mm. organization but you we have people who share the same ideologies in the academia space in yeah. the corporate space uh, and those are the people that you need to bring onto the mm. board to say um we need we have political positions in municipalities yeah. and those are meant for cadre deployment mm. to say we share the same ideology you understand what this municipality needs to mm. turn out to be but we need you need a team that is informed that 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 has experts mm. um to come and guide you as a political head in in a municipality so ideology cannot run a municipality and that is why you mm. find municipalities in south africa collapsing because they are run by ideologies yeah no no so yeah, yeah. get credible people get experts mm. um put a solid team together that will be able to guide political heads in municipalities to see if implementations are going to be done if developments are going to be happening in that municipality okay and and one of the commitments you made in your manifesto uh, regarding land and mm. and the formalization of the informal settlements that we have mm. you said you're going to provide them with services electricity water and sanitation mm. but now the, the question is how then do you ensure that there's no mushrooming of informal settlements afterwards where you find yourself you're always behind because people see an open space they settle here mm. and then now they say come bring us services but that's the commitment you made so my thinking is that your commitment was based on what's happening currently mm. the informal settlements that we have now but going forward how do you ensure that people stay in those informal settlements and they don't wake up one day to say actually we want to stay there and that's where we're going to go and we're going to demand services you see that is why you need to give people access to land mm. 
um, why you see people mushrooming and informal settlements mushrooming even in spaces where they are not supposed to be mm. it's because of lack of access to land mm. and why the EFF says people must have access to land if the EFF as a government has land and it's able to give people land they are able to then identify land residential land mm. to say this is a residential land there's informal settlements in Guadugusa. we want to take people from Guadugusa to a proper residential space then they're able to create to move uh, informal settlements from places dangerous places mm. we find our people are living in very critical spaces yeah that is because they don't have access to land and once you give people access to land then you minimize the risk of them planting themselves anywhere they find space so you find them in an agricultural land because they don't seem to find a residential land and the, the, the government is not giving them access to land. If a government is able to give people land, they identify a land, they formalize, they take that inf uh, informal settlement, they go formalize it somewhere else, take move those people to a more dignified and formalized land and then create space for whatever they need to do in that particular land. So mushrooming of informal settlements is of um, a result of lack of access for our people. Our people don't have land. You know, you are in Gauteng, you go to Alexandra. Mm. People are living in squatter camps. People are living in matchbox as houses because government is not giving them access. And we know that there's a whole lot of us. Mm. But if there's um, a plan to say in a space of five years or in a space of 10 years, we plan to have accommodated this X amount of people, mm. to have moved them from these um, areas to residential areas so that there's also development in those areas. Now people are building houses and they're creating informal settlements in areas where there's supposed to be development, mm. in towns and cities, in various spaces. And this is because no one communicates, no one sits down and drafts a plan to say, these people are in a space where we're supposed to create development for their own sake. Why do we not then look or identify a certain um, land or space where we can move them there and we can continue with development? There's no development. That is why people just find land and they put themselves there because they don't see the need of seeing an open space that has got no use by the government. If there's no development, people are going to think that each and every space that they find, they can reside in it. Don't you think the issue is people being placed far from economic opportunities, far from cities, hence people then go towards those economic opportunities, hence they then find a piece of land and they just occupy. Mm. Because as you say, you say identify a land, but I think government is doing that, but the problem is the land they are identifying is far from economic opportunities because a person moves about 10 k's from from a town mm. they have to catch a taxi to town mm. it's money they do not have yes so they'd rather stay in an alex where they know they can walk across to senten look for a job or if they get a job then they know they don't have to spend money on taxis mm. and they can just walk across go work and use that money to buy groceries and that's exactly what i'm saying mm. there's no development yeah because if a government is able to bring developments mm. to rural areas then there's no need for people in the rural areas to move to the cities because already the cities are crowded. Mm. Um, Jovek is not a city that it used to be anymore. You know, yeah. it's you bump into everyone like it's it's a mess because there are no developments in surrounding areas. 
That is why everyone wants to find themselves in one place. So if a government is then able to bring developments into further places from the economic hubs that they call economic hubs, then they're able to also open economies in rural areas. Because the reality is that the people who live in the rural areas are the ones who contribute to the economies of these cities. So there has to be development pushed towards these rural areas so that mm. they also limit or they also try to um, minimize a number of people that mm. come to cities. People are only brought to the cities because that is where there's economic activities. But if you bring economic activities to them, then there will not be a need for them to move from mm. where they are down to the cities and towns. And let's, let's talk about gender and women. Mm -hmm. It's one of the commitments you, you make in your manifesto, yeah. where you say that you will include education against patriarchy, sexism, and also bring in legislation mm -hmm. to ensure the, protect, the protection of, of women and ensure their liberation. We have, the national government has introduced GBV bills. Um, what sort of legislation do you mm. think you will be able to introduce against what already is there? Mm. Um, the GBVF um, mm. that is bill that has been introduced by the government. Mm. I mean, even the EFF made submissions yeah. towards that bill. Um, but the the main concern was that each time this bill is reviewed, mm. we come back, we make submissions, they take the submissions, they draft down um, a program or a document, mm. and then it ends there. But year in, year out, the president of the country announces that there's a certain amount that has been invested into this mm. um, project, gender-based violence and femicide. Mm. Um, but we don't see where this money goes. We don't have safe homes for women and children. Um, when you go to police stations, there is no infrastructure to address issues of women and children. If a woman goes to a police station now saying, I just got raped. I mean, there has, a police station is supposed to be a mini clinic. Mm. Um, that is what the EFF said, even in its submission to towards the bill, that a police station, you must have a counselor because you know when you get someone, a victim of rape, the first thing that you need to do, that person needs to speak to a counselor first before mm. they can go and open a case. So that you also calm the state of mind of that person at that yeah. particular time. Mm. So you need a counselor in a police station. You need to have a nurse in a police station because if you get a girl from a rural place looking for a police station after they've just been raped, you get to a police station and the police station, they tell you to go to a clinic or to a doctor to go and sign off forms and do all sorts of tests. Wh what time do you get to do that? And this is why a lot of women and children who go through gender-based violence end up not opening cases. Mm. Because the process of opening a case and securing a justice um, system is very difficult. It's not, um, it's not pro-women and children. And the worry is that the bill speaks so positively about what it wants to do, mm. how it wants to protect women and children, how it wants to finally, you know, address issues of women and children, violence and all that. But, and there's money for it, but there's no implementation. Um, the bill comes in, um, it speaks about the same thing that I'm speaking to you about, yes. about um, having access to hospitals, mm. to clinics, to police to stations, counselors, yes. to counselors, mm. to homes. 
but we don't have that. If you were to look around now and get um, and try to identify how many homes of women and children you would find in Joburg, it, it's 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 difficult. Mm. You'll find it in the Western Cape, and the, these are also not funded by government. Mm. Um, these are NGOs. These are uh, non-profit organizations that feel that because of a situation they find themselves in, they have to then step in as community members and start implementing these things on their own. So the bills, they speak very um, profoundly, but there is no, there's no one stepping in to say, let's implement this. Okay. And these are contributions from politi various political parties. Hmm. The EFF made submissions because it has its own um, idea of how a society that must be inclusive of women and children should look like. So having said that, when you say you're going to introduce uh, legislation, uh, do you mean that you're going to implement what's there or introduce entirely new, a new bill? It's not going to be yeah. entirely new. Mm. Um, it's not going to be entirely new, but the EFF wants to introduce a legislation that speaks directly to the issues of women and children. Mm. And not only speak directly to that, but also speak to the... I would call it the sectors surrounding it. Um, what happens to perpetrators? What happens yeah. like to it speaks about the broader view of what a justice system should look like. Um, you speak about women and children, you want to protect them, but what do you do to perpetrators, to mm. their perpetrators? How is the justice system reacting towards these people? How are they protecting justice system? If you look at the justice system now, um, perpetrators are more protected than victims. Hmm. Um, that is why perpetrators feel that, okay, I can do this now, I can do an offense now. Hmm. After three years, five years, I'm out, I can do it again. Um, even the rehabilitation systems and processes, um, they are not really speaking to protecting victims. You don't give counseling to a victim. You take a perpetrator to prison. After a week, two, two weeks, they are released because they are first-time, second-time offenders. Or maybe their offenses are not that hectic as the justice system would say. Um, then this person is brought back to the community. The victim must face this person daily, but also this perpetrator is exposed mm. um, or community members are exposed to the same perpetrator who is brought back to the community because the system thinks that this person has been rehabilitated enough and they can therefore be brought back into the community. So the legislation that the EFF wants to introduce covers all these aspects to say, how do you create a safe space for women and children in our societies? No, thanks thanks for that. I think that, that's clear. Mm -hmm. And I want us to take a step back to, to 2016. Mm -hmm. I think in South Africa, that we, that's when we first got introduced to coalition politics. Yeah. Uh, we saw, though the EFF did not enter into a formal coalition, but it supported the DA in Tswane and Joburg. Mm -hmm for the DA to get into power. And later, we saw what we can call a, a collapse of, of those partnerships and the coalitions. So going into this um, upcoming local government elections, um, what mistakes have you learned from 2016? And going forward, should you find yourself in the same situation again? How do you ensure that you don't repeat those mistakes of 2016? Mm -hmm. uh, firstly, the EFF, is not in partnership with anyone. Yes. And even in 2016, they were not in coalition with anyone. Mm. Um, if you are a political party, a decisive political party like the EFF as the third largest organization, mm. you have to 
vote with the better devil. Yeah. And that's where the EFF found itself. I mean, it was between the ANC and the DA. Mm. And you have to find a better devil. You have to make a decision at that particular moment to say, okay, who do you go with? Because you don't have an option of pulling out mm. as a deciding uh, political party. But the EFF is in these elections to win. Yeah. Um, the EFF is not contesting these elections to partner with anyone, to be in coalition with anyone. And the EFF has never really agreed with coalition with anyone. It wants to have its own government. That is why even in our campaigns, we say, give us a municipality mm. and see what an EFF government would look like. If you are still not convinced on what an EFF government would look like ideally, then one municipality should give you an idea of what, how an EFF government would be run. Um, so we are not in these elections to partner with anyone. And um, the main focus is to win these elections. And I mean, you can even see with our campaign, we are going all out. The idea and the focus is one, to win local government elections and not partner with anyone. But Partnering yeah. and who becomes or who wins these elections hmm. is based on the voters. It's really yeah. up to the voters. And um, we have done our part. We are still doing our part. We are speaking to our people. We are going out urging people to vote for the EFF, to give an EFF a chance to govern and for people to realize a government of the EFF and see if it's really what um, the EFF speaks about and is it really uh, society-based, community-based, as it says it is, and if it really wants to um, develop the lives of black people in particular as the majority people in this country. So... We are in for a win and but, not partnership. But but surely you, the, the reality exists mm -hmm. that no party will get outright majority. Mm -hmm. So you might be forced to get into some sort of strategic uh, partnership or yes. relationship. But have you not thought of it and how it would look like? Should no party get outright majority? Um, obviously, it, 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 we have to think about it mm. because it's a possible... It's possible, um, and there's a high possibility of it, seeing that the ANC is collapsing. Mm. Um, the DA is, has failed its people in the municipalities that mm. it was given. And the EFF really can't be accountable for a failed municipality that was run by the DA. Yeah. Um, and the people, for people to want to judge the EFF based on the DA's performance in the municipality is not fair at all. Yeah. For a political party that has not been given an opportunity to run a municipality, you really have to limit your critiques when it comes to who was running and what were the fails. Mm. All we did was to vote yes. with the DA. Mm. Um, and what the DA does, and also we know that we don't share the same ideology with the DA. So their priorities will not be mm. our priorities. We prioritize our people, and DA has its own priorities as well. Um, so the failures of 2016... They are there. Everyone can see them. Um, the EFF wants to change that, mm. but it can only do that through a vote, through votes of the people of the country. All the registered voters to go and vote for the EFF and to finally give an EFF a chance to run municipalities so they are able to hold the EFF accountable for municipalities that they delivered to them as the citizens of this country. Thank you. And I think on, on that note, uh, that's where we'll leave it. Uh, let me thank you very much for affording us your time mm -hmm. and your views on, on 
a lot of things that are happening in the country and going into the local government elections. Mm. Any, any last words from you? No, thank you very much, uh, mm. Kevin, for this opportunity. Um, uh, my last words would be that we are in the last phase of campaigns. Um, we urge all our people to go out in their numbers, to go and vote and make a change that they want to have. Um, they must remember that that X is not only for them, but for the coming generations that will mm. come. And that is why the EFF is working tirelessly to make sure that people of South Africa come out in numbers to vote and ultimately vote for the EFF and give the EFF an opportunity to run municipalities and give them a government that will instill dignity and integrity to black people. So let's all go out and vote EFF. Thank you very much. Sure. And that was Ms. Sharon Litlape, a CCT member of the Economic Freedom Fighters. And that's it for, for this segment of our episode. Thank you very much. To keep up to date with public policy and current affairs, follow us on our social media platforms. You can find us on LinkedIn as Frontline Africa Advisory, Twitter at FAA underscore advisory, Facebook, Frontline Africa Advisory, YouTube, Frontline Conversations, and our website, www.frontlineafrica.co.za. You don't want